0: Hey, this is Dick from Lone Star Community Radio. We have a big announcement for Lone Star Community Radio and our listeners. We have partnered with another TV station. That's right. You will be seeing Lone Star Community Radio content on KVQT Channel 12 in the Houston area. Now is a great time to start a show or sponsor a show with Lone Star Community Radio. For more information on everything that is happening, visit us online at IRLoneStar.com or call the station at 936-647-647 and leave a message. And we want to also wish everyone a safe and happy Thanksgiving. All righty. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm glad you're able to be with us today, the Agricultural Toolbox. And I thought we'd talk about a variety of things today. I uh, had some ideas on some uh, kind of wrap-up after uh, Harvey, but we're still in the middle of those mo- uh, motions. So we'd like to uh, hit on some other things instead. But uh, some of the things we've got going on, the Beef Improvement Association, we're kind of finishing up their annual uh, their uh, annual renewal of their membership. And that uh, Beef Improvement Association, I'm not sure how many of you are aware of that organization. It's formed over 20 years ago. It actually came out of one of my agriculture committees and uh, their function Uh, It's kind of multi-faced, but the biggest thing is going to be the educational programs that they put on. Um, They're focusing on making sure that we're uh, profitable and producers are able to produce a a commodity that's ready to go to market that uh, is going to be safe and and reliable and productive. So whether it be something that's going to go into the food chain or a reproductive unit out there for someone else to build a herd on, you know, that's their goal. But uh, we didn't right away, but educational programs, and we had a a program last night, in fact— um, talk about site injections and making sure that, you know, when we use products, it might be vaccinations or antibiotics or whatever the case might need to uh, produce a safe quality product that uh, we're administering those products in a safe fashion according to the label and using those products only when labeled and needed for those uses. So, again, it's a very educational program. We do a lot of uh, uh, programs on pasture management, uh, you know, as far as facility design. A variety of things, and one of the neat things that comes out of it that we've done over a period of years is produced actually a directory, and uh, that directory has got the membership, the members in it, the locations, the the type of cattle that they produce, the email addresses so you can talk with them, and then also we've got a list of uh, advertisers in there, industry related type of businesses. So uh, this directory has turned into an excellent marketing marketing tool, and we uh, produce that you know, in the fall each year. This time of year, right around Christmas kind of get wrapped up on on the renewals of our members, updates on phone numbers and email addresses, so that we publish this. And then this is a tool that we actually make available online, or we print hard copies and send that out to people. And whether it be 4-H and FFA contestants after the fair, uh, they've got calf scrambles, uh, you know they've caught it uh, during calf scramble at the fair and are looking for animals, or it might be if the replacement heifer division. Uh, these books make an excellent tool to provide those um young people with a source of finding producers and the quality of products that they produce. But again, we use it for also for marketing outside. Got a lot of folks that uh, we've talked about in the past that bought a piece of property, interested in uh, buying animals and putting them on that property and beginning uh, herd production activities. And uh, again, this is a lot safer way to go. I mean, the sale barn is a venue that allows you to purchase animals. And again, as long as you're comfortable with being able to identify animals and uh, potential, and the uh, ability to grow and be a reproductive unit. That works great. Otherwise, this directory has been an excellent tool in providing an opportunity for a person to call one of our ranchers, uh, go actually sit, visit with them, look at their animals, and get some insight. I mean, they're all educators. we work together, and uh, these guys are able to share information, let you look at their pens, look at their pastures, things that they're doing there to improve their property, and they're always willing to share those opportunities with new people. So, again, it's a neat opportunity. Only $35 a year to be a member of this organization, and we do have some uh, things like there's a, a, a squeeze chute set of scales uh, that are available for members to utilize. So again, if a person's getting an operation set up, maybe you've got a set of pens, don't have a squeeze chute purchased yet. We've got one at the office that they can, being a member of this organization, uh, they're able to check that out and utilize that unit at their house. So some of the neat things to go on. So if you want to uh, uh, if you look at it either being an advertiser or if you've got a herd and you want to you know, increase your marketing skills, marketing effect, exposure, the Montgomery County Beef Improvement Association is a real opportunity. And at our annual meeting back in September, we actually changed things up. It used to be Montgomery and adjacent counties, but we had an interest from producers outside that area that wanted to become a member of this organization. So we actually made it, uh, took that portion out. Of, so as long as they're a beef cattle producer, they are eligible to become a member of this organization. So you might be outside the adjacent counties of you know, Walker, uh, San Jacinto, Liberty, Waller, Harris counties, uh, and Brazos counties. So farther on out there, you're more than eligible to uh, fill out an application form. And if you don't find one online, you can sure call our office and we'll email that to you. So again, for $35, there's a lot of exposure, marketing, and the educational opportunities that we produce during the year. And that board of directors gives leadership to the educational programs that we put out there. Uh, one of the opportunities that's coming along right now is going to be uh, due on December the 4th is soil testing. Uh, we do we, Back in October, we actually looked at a forage testing campaign, and this is funded by the Montgomery County Soil Water Conservation Board. And the same thing with a soil testing campaign we have going on right now. Now is a good time to be pulling soil tests, looking at soil fertility uh, situations at this point in time, and I've had the opportunity the last few days to uh, be on some places, look at some operations, and maybe the grasses are not responding quite as well as, as uh, you, know, you anticipate or should have. So again, this one uh, soil testing uh, tool is a diagnostic tool. It really helps us look at what's going on out there in the pasture. And if we're not seeing uh, the productivity that we would anticipate, many times we are short in one particular nutrient. I was in a place the other day. And the potassium levels were way, way, way low. And, again, that would be very indicative of low producing because potassium is necessary for root establishment, drought tolerance, and uh, you know flowering ability of plants. So, again, as soon as we get that potassium level built up, we're going to see a tremendous change. Soil pH is also is another one. We've got a lot of soils in Montgomery County. They're very low pH. And with that going on, it actually, when it gets down to low fives, uh, that pH is low enough it actually causes nutrients to bind up. They're no longer soluble, which means they're not available to the plant for utilization. So again, you may have plenty of nutrients out there, but if your pH is in the low fives or upper fours, it's like there's nothing there. So again, looking at those things, that soil test is a good diagnostic tool. Uh, You you can download that form off of the website. You can go to soiltesting.tamu.edu and download that form and just use a Ziploc sandwich bag and then uh, collect that sample according to the instructions on the back of the form. Which is going to indicate from the surface to six inches deep. We're going to actually want a soil profile of that root zone. And again, we'll repeat that. If I've got a 10 acre patch out there, I'm going to go get six rate samples across and around that pasture, just drift around out there, then mix those six rate samples together, and then take one good representative sample. So about a cup and a half of soil uh, would be necessary for um, getting an adequate sample gone. So again, six rate samples out there, mix it all together, and then we would submit that to the lab. Uh, or to our office, I should say, soil testing campaign. We need those samples brought to our office by December 4, and then I'll run them over to the soil soil testing lab at College Station after that. And then those results will be given back to you uh, in a timely fashion so we can actually get some uh, modifications done now. And again, if we've got clovers, we can look at our phosphorus and potassium levels. Uh, At the same time, if we're trying to get ready for next spring's hay fields. Uh, if we're low on pH, then we can get some lime out there now while the soils are dry and uh, get that lime distributed out there, let it go ahead and start leaching into the soil so that we can actually buffer those soils and get those soils, uh, pHs up there where they need to be for spring growth and maybe see a more productive pasture. So those are the kind of things that are going on on that part. I noticed a couple of things last day at or 2 uh, Stinging nettle is starting to show back up. Uh, that's a problem that we've been seeing. Everybody complains about ironweed, but... Ironweed doesn't have the same ability to grab you and when you're out there in the pasture or out there in the fence lines and get into that. It sure causes a burning sensation when you get that on you. But realizing that that is starting to show up now and it will just go ahead and fester. I'm not sure how much winter we're going to have this year. It's been cold and then warms right back up, so it hasn't slowed things up much. But stinging nettle is a, is a weed that's been out there for quite some time, and it has been growing in, uh, in the areas that's overtaken, just like ironweed. And again, it's one that's easily controlled. Uh, the biggest thing is we just have to spray it with a herbicide because it's not something you're going to be able to dig up or, or pull up because it is a perennial. So it's got a pretty good root system down there. But again, a good broad-spectrum, broad-leaf herbicide, like even 2,4-D, your on next, uh, pasture guard, chaparral, things like that are all good products. The thing to remember is make sure you use a surfactant because the stinging nettle's got lots of little fine hairs on that leaf surface. So if you don't use a surfactant, it doesn't break up the surface tension of the water droplets. And then that water droplet will just actually lay up there on top of those hairs, evaporate, and the chemical never makes it to leave surface. So that's why we get failure on herbicides on those types of plants. If we don't have a surfactant in there, it never reaches the plant. And then people are upset. They say, well, the herbicide didn't work. Well, it turns out we never got the herbicide into the plant. So, again, those are the kind of things. Watch out for that. The stinging nettle is starting to show up right now. Again, the warm weather, dry weather, things like that have been thrown around. A lot of people have not put in any winter pasture yet. It's not too late. I mean, you can go all the way till Christmas with rye grass and still have late spring grazing. We've just missed the opportunity to get started here after Thanksgiving. Because normally when we get late September, early October, but this year it's been so hot that it was really a gamble to try to get things in early. And I know in certain areas uh, we plant some pastures up north and had some oats Sand was looking real good and all of a sudden the armor worms were in there and grazed it all off so uh you just you try your best and see what happens and a lot of times it doesn't turn out the way we really want it to but uh realizing ryegrass and clovers it's not too late we've got some more uh warm weather still around for a while and uh, also we've got some moisture out there right now so the showers we've been getting you know most i think everybody received a, a quarter a half inch last week two inches before that so there is some moisture out there that we can get things growing and again If nothing else, on the clovers, if we use that as a weed barrier, there are a lot of things starting to show up. We mentioned the stinging nettle, but you end up with a lot of chickweed, lambsquarters, those types of weeds through the winter that are going to be coming up, cool season annuals. And a good good stand of clovers is going to be a good weed barrier. And uh, at the same time, it's going to be a legume, so it's fixing nitrogen, which will help us with our our perennial grasses next summer. So again, a lot of people don't like that. They're afraid of the clovers, but realizing it is a very beneficial tool, and it is something that can be grazed. If you've got standing forages out there, the clovers can be grazed along with standing uh, frosted grass, not a problem, or ryegrass. But uh, legumes are an excellent tool that we really just don't want to overlook. Uh, you know, so, you know, again, just kind of look at those. We're not too late. A lot of people figure we get this late in the year, and it's past that window. But ryegrass, it's one that we can go all the way till, uh, till Christmas time without any trouble. Again, that will just get a lot of April, May and early June grazing, and then we'll have to shut her down and get it out of the way for Bermuda grasses to get started after that. So, again, that kind of gives us a rough idea on those things that we wanted to talk about. Again, we're still wrapping up. I know mentioned earlier on Harvey. Uh, we're still doing a lot of uh, uh, the governor's task force has us busy communicating with the municipalities and our elected officials, but at the same time, we're visiting with a lot of individuals. There is some assistance out there from the different agencies but one thing we need to look at also is going to be, you know, the animals. We're still trying to find some animals that were displaced, and again, uh, the permanent ID branding, freeze branding, fire branding. i do not sure what it is. or care what it is. Ear notches in cattle. We're not going to ear out your horses, but again, those kinds of permanent identifications that we can look at animals. Uh, the plastic ear tags that everybody likes to utilize, realizing that uh, we get into a situation situation there with heavy brush. You now those ear tags are going to come out. So. The the fire branding, freeze branding, or chipping are methods that we can utilize to find animals. And again, when you've got a lost horse or something like that, it gets to be a part of the family that we really need to focus on. So again, some of the branding techniques that are out there, they're not uh, uh, real tough on animals, but again, it's a permanent identification. If we've got an animal that's freeze branded, we can see him standing out there in a pasture. But the biggest thing is a lot of times animals are found, and really don't have any, if there's no brand identification on those animals at all, it's extremely hard to get them back to where they came from, especially after an event like Harvey where animals were displaced for several miles. It's uh, one thing, like we had a heifer down there in the southeast part of the county last week, got loose, and uh, again, she showed right up in a neighboring herd of cattle. So adjacent neighbors is not a big issue, but when you've got an event like Harvey where animals were displaced for several miles, or they were picked up by a, a Good Samaritan and hauled to someplace else, and they may have been moved 100 miles to another safety and secure uh, location. Then we have the task of trying to find where that animal goes. So, again, branding, uh, then make sure that those brands are recorded in the county clerk's office. It gives you an opportunity to uh, try to find those animals, find you know, get them back to their owners when the time comes. Let's go ahead and take a break right now. We'll come back, and I've got a couple of programs coming up we want to talk about, and those opportunities that are coming up here in the near future. We'll be right back. to be back with you again again uh, we were talking about some activities coming up in the near future and i mentioned about the soil testing campaign uh those samples need to be in on december the 4th turns out the day after that they've got a very uh, a, a in- detailed in-depth program going on over at college station at the uh, uh Braza, the Brazos center there on briarcrest and but the 29th annual texas plant protection conference is going to be held over there it's a two-day deal the fifth and sixth and it's a conference that has been available for a long, long time, and it benefits a tremendous cross-section of individuals as far as, far, as, far as producers, business sector, and even uh, their scholarship program they got available. They actually held up, help out students uh, going to college there. They've got some work that might be going on in that particular uh, herbicide area, pesticide use, land management, best management practices that can apply for some of these scholarships and there is some funding that comes out of this conference. But the conference is very uh, unique in the fact that uh, it does cr- uh, cross several boundaries there as far as uh, different entities, and it offers offers a variety of credit. So everybody that's needing CEU credit for their uh, Texas Department of Agriculture license, they can get about nine hours of credit during those two days. So there's a variety of programs that don't count, but yet uh, that and there's a lot of vendors there and just a cross-section of things going on. But, again, it's a lot of different folks that are involved with uh, the program, and they're looking at trade, ag economy, they're, uh, you know the U.S. economy that we're looking at, and some of the speakers there, um, and Mr. Fisher, your deputy staff director and chief economist for the U.S. House of Representatives Ag Committee will be there talking about U.S. ag economics and the Farm Bill uh, pesticide regulations that are going on. This is being provided by Mr. Greenwood, executive vice president, Vice President of Government Relations and Public Relations for CropLife America. There's Ag Credit Update. There's going to be an update on new you know, cotton technology that's going on. Uh, and again, these are not only A&M professors speaking. There's going to be a cross-section of folks. New A lot, a lot of new technology is going on as far as uh, 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 field sensors, things like that. And uh, they're going to be talking quite a bit about that. Uh going to be a lot of economics. There's got crop mix economics, U.S. Uh, commercial diplomacy, water regulations issues. That's going to be talked about. Foliar feeding, cotton, and some of the other crops there. A big section on pest ID, and there's actual contests that Baron Rector offers each year. And that particular one is there's a plant ID, and then there's also a pest ID that's available. And uh, it's a contest, and there's some uh, nice prizes that are awarded for you know, being the person that does the best on those little contests. So it's a little friendly competition there those uh, samples are laid out there and you fill out your own form they're great and see who gets the most right but it's about 40 uh samples that will be participating in that contest again uh, new technology chemistry there's going to be syngenta crop sciences will be overseeing that uh there are more options and protection inside and outside the monsanto bag. so you can see that it's going to be a cross-section of vendors out there weed control systems. And again, it's, there's a lot of neat research that's going on out there. Uh, we talk about pesticides and applications. When you look at some of the labels now, they're actually uh, re- uh, recommending a particular uh, spray tip design uh, for that particular product now, which gives us the best application and uh, you know, uh, ways to put those product out on the, the host site or pest site to make sure that we're going to get the control that's going to be desired. So Again, those kind of things are going on. You know, Bayer uh, and fungicides and herbicides that make a difference in Texas agriculture. FMC will be there making that presentation. BASF is new products and label updates. Uh, again, Syngenta Crop Protection is going to be there talking about a variety of things. But, again, the general sessions are there. And then there's a lot of concurrent sessions that are going on. Uh, a review of the bullworm situation uh, in BT cotton and decision management decisions cotton economics, and then remote accessing, uh, remote sensing pl- platforms. So quite a bit on, on the cotton industry, but then, there's, again, there's going to be quite a bit on rangeland also. Control of IVM rangeland and pasture vegetation. Uh, Helena Crop Sciences will be helping out with that demonstration. Update on intelligence from Helena. Uh, control of industrial vegetation from Bayer Products. Uh, control of range and pasture vegetation. That's going to be another one by Bayer, Bayer Products. Cow-calf production costs by David Anderson. He's our one of our specialists over there. will be giving that that presentation. And again, other concurrent sessions on grain management. Uh, those kind of products are out or Talks will be going on. Uh, there's going to be some wilt situations. Farming for Texas. Uh, craft brewing and distilling. Again, that's another industry that's growing in popular, popularity. Uh, some still on rice. So regardless of what you're... Uh, focus is in the agricultural endeavors. There's going to be some interest there. Again, on the horticulture turf side also, the uh, earth kind area there is, is growing in popularity. And Tim Hartman will be talking about some plant varieties for that, the effects of soil pH and other limitations on adapt- adaptation of the, the kiwi fruit in Texas. Again, a lot of people are trying some of the uh, things that are not native to this area. And again, looking at our soil fertility needs, we just talked about soil testing. And again, our soils, uh, you know, many times they're very deficient. So we can grow a lot of things if weather will permit as long as we get our soil fertility and soil textures right. But you know, when you've got a county like Montgomery County that's got over 50 different soil types, you know, finding a site that's suitable may be all right as long as the weather cooperates. It gives us that opportunity. Developing new vegetable uh, cultivars from the Texas uh, vegetable industry. There's a lot of research going on there, some new adaptations. Grapevine disease management in Texas. The grapes has been an, uh, an area that's, that's exploded. Lots and lots of interest. Just a few plants in the backyard to actually having vineyards established everywhere. Uh, new developments in the crepe myrtle. Crepe myrtle uh, bar scale management. And we do have some pests that are growing out there in their populations and their their effect on our landscapes. And those kind of things are being utilized. Again, we've had several programs here in Montgomery County this last year talking about drones. But new developments in using drones for precision agriculture. They provide a lot of opportunity there, and uh, again, their uh, their cost effectiveness is growing tremendously. You've got a unit there that you can buy for a few hundred dollars that, with the right software, can provide us a tremendous amount of management um, information. Uh, the precision agriculture efforts that are going on at the Stiles Farm, that's a educational facility. It's part of the ANM system, but they do a lot of crops and pasture work over there. They have a field day each spring over there, and again, it's another opportunity there to see a lot of things going on. But they've got a lot of ongoing research, and they're constantly monitoring what's going on. Phenotyping, BMPs, and irrigation management from remote sensing. So the electronics and digital things are going on. Digital farming. Danny Sosby from Netafilm USA is going to be making a presentation there. Potential for variable rate nutrient management in Central Texas. Again, that's going to be variable crops. So looking at our fine-tuning our soil fertility program is going to be critical. Again, with uh, you know, our environment and not overdoing uh, nutrients, it's critical that we have a handle on what's going on. So we apply only what's necessary to produce the crop that we want and not have excess that might be leaching downward or leaching off-site because of, uh, if it's not binding up with uh, plant materials and being held in place, we sure don't want to lose it just because of cost-effectiveness or the potential for pollution in the environment so those kind of the considerations plant nutrition again there's a lot, a unit there plant micronutrient needs uh larry Unruh with american plant foods larry used to be with texas a&m and he was over there managing american plant foods but again uh, there are a number of micronutrients that we don't think about and even some of our clovers we're seeing boron deficiency and a trace amount of boron or copper again it's another one that'll make a big difference in the, the production of a field so there's a lot of things we're looking at, uh, and again, state of the fertilizer industry. Uh, that's, there's come some concerns out there, what's available to us, but that's the kind of things we're going to be looking at. So good variety of programming going on, the 5th and 6th, over at the Brazos Center and College Station. Uh, we did pass uh, the uh, early registration date. Were, those were supposed to be before November 11. At that time, it was $85. After the 11th, it's going to be $100. But again, that's two full days of educational opportunities. And again, you can pick up a number of CEUs from that program there and get your license updated. And again, there are some other um, educational professional development units that are available there also. A couple of other programs we've got coming up, up you know, in the county there that uh, could be of benefit. In particular, one we've got coming up on December 8 and 9. Uh, that's going to be our, tech, our large animal emergency rescue class. This is a program we were trying to put together back in April and just really did not get all our certifications in place. And then after Harvey, we've got even more of an emphasis and a need shown for this type of a class. But this is gonna be a two-day class held at our office at the Montgomery County Extension Office on Airport Road. And uh, Dr. Rebecca Gimenez is gonna be the technician that will be teaching that. She's from the Southeast part of the United States and she's nationally recognized for her uh, teaching abilities and the classes that she offers and the quality of the training that your person receives. And this is one of those that we're able to give a variety of uh, credit. And again, so DVM, your TCLOS, Department of State, uh, State Health Services, uh, Fire Service, ACO, uh, LTV, uh, those are all certifications that we will be able to give hours of credit on. And again, excellent opportunity. But uh, during this class, we're going to look at incident prevention Emergency scene management, large animal restraint, the basics of water, uh, mud, water, ice rescues. Not too much ice going on, but we've had plenty of mud and water. Confined rescue space, uh, incident management, uh, livestock trailer incidents. Then we've got barn fires, and again, uh, dealing with animals and smoke. If you've never experienced that, uh, animals don't respond the way you would think they would. So wildfires, barn fires, and we've always talked about that potential problem out there how do we uh, manage around those? We'll be addressing those and integration of veterinarians into the emergency response. So, and again, that's a unique thing about the Montgomery County animal issues committee. That's a group that's charged with working through some of these incidents. And we do have a number of veterinarians that serve on that committee. And I think it's something there that uh, has proved very beneficial during particularly during Harvey, but this training, and again, it's open to anybody, whether you be a first responder or an individual that's interested in helping out, uh, You can register for going on to our website, Montgomery County website. It is a uh, uh, cost of $100, which includes lunch both days and uh, educational materials and uh, all the things that go along with that class. But she's got an excellent book, resource books, that will actually be a part of that class. But, uh, again, the basic concepts of large animal rescue will be critical medical concerns to be addressed during large animal incidents. Uh, Again, a lot of times we may be looking at animal, whether it be hypothermia, uh, it might be a damaged limb, things like that that are going on. There are certain ways that we can work through those things and keep everybody safe. And again, uh, the responder or that person applying or providing the aid, uh, that's the kind of things we need to be looking at, making sure that uh, they understand those needs uh, in depth on safety considerations for the uh, large animal rescue incidents, the incident command system. And again, uh, that's what we see on all these situations. If you'll notice, when you walk into a situation, we have a person who is in charge of it we follow their lead they understand what needs to be done there's a systematic approach so we don't get people hurt it's real easy to kind of get emotional and jump off and start doing things so there is a method to the madness as far as the way we approach a situation there getting certain things in place making sure those resources are are in place so that we can go ahead and move forward with those kinds of things so again confined space considerations transportation incident response considerations uh, the livestock overturns, uh, again, that we have seen that time and time again. And, uh, you know, riding those trailers uh, with animals in them, without you know, with animals uh, trying to get them out of a down trailer, a uh, trailer that's been destroyed. We had a situation not too long ago where a trailer was run into the back of, and uh, they were able to get some of the animals out. Some of them had to be euthanized because of the damage that occurred to them. Again, the fire response, but the uh, field... Uh, Just there's lots of things that go on, but we will be utilizing a variety of of resources resources for that program. Some live animal, a lot of will be in class this time of year. With December, we tried to get in April, and that didn't fall together. So again, we'll be kind of looking at the weather as well as the the classroom situation. So again, this would be an excellent opportunity for folks to be able to get uh, you know over two days, over nine hours of professional development uh, uh, opportunities, and there will be some. Uh, lab type situations there will be uh, handling animals, equipment handling, tying knots, uh, just a variety of things because there are pieces of things that we can utilize. Uh, old fire hoses make excellent slings, and that's a way to safe- safely pick up an animal, move an animal without causing injury. Again, anytime we broaden the space that we're going to make contact or pull, we lessen the chance of causing an, uh, an injury. So a lot of times an old fire hose is much better than a lariat rope on trying to get something done. Uh, So, again, those kind of things, we can go to the Montgomery County Extension Office, or website, to enter up. Or you can just go ahead and and, uh, we can email you a copy of a registration form we've drawn up, ask for name, address. And, again, it's a $100 registration fee. And you can send that to our address uh, there uh, it to our office at 9020 Airport Road. And, again, you can go to the MontgomeryAgrilife.org website. And uh, I think uh, April has actually set up a PayPal account. So if that's an easier way for you to register for this class, you can sure do it that way. The registration form is also found at that site or that location. All right, let's just take a break. We'll come back with a few more pieces of information shortly. What can the Better Living for Texans program do for you? You can learn how to increase your consumption of fruits and vegetables, choose foods that are relatively inexpensive and good to eat, make your food dollars last longer, prepare quick nutritious meals, help your children learn how to eat healthier snacks, and much more. Our program is committed to helping people like you improve your health through providing research-based nutrition education in a friendly, cost-free, and relaxed environment. We are Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, helping Texans make their lives better. Uh, One more program I wanted to mention right off the bat before we went in and talked a little bit about deer hunting. But we have got our second annual Southeast Texas Recertification, or Southeast Texas Town and Country CEU Recertification Educational Program. You know We talk a lot about pesticides and management of our resources, and this is one that we started uh, last year. And again, a lot of folks are looking for a few more hours on their uh, Texas uh, private applicator license or commercial, non-commercial license. And we also do get uh, structural pest control service certification on this program. But this program here, again, it's it's not only for those folks who got a license, I should just clarify that. But this particular program, we call it Town and Country. So it's going to be a cross-section of uh, interests of programs we're going to offer. But this is going to be December 14. It's a Thursday at the Extension Office and uh, Montgomery County Extension Office. But it's a unique situation we started last year. Again, we get lots of resources together, and I'll talk about that in just a moment as far as, you know, getting speakers to come out and talk. But this is kind of a unique deal. We actually go ahead and web broad, uh, broadcast this particular program. Uh, it's being actually uh, presented at our extension office in Montgomery County. But at the same time, we're going to be putting it out live to uh, the Waller County Extension Office, the Dayton Community Center, the Brazoria County Extension Office, the Brazos County Extension Office. The Fort Bend County Fairgrounds is going to have a site located, and the Galveston County Extension Office will also be receiving this program. So, again, this one is going to be out there, and if you got folks in, folks in other counties, uh, other areas that are needing some hours of credit or just want to hear these program ideas or topics, you can let them know, and uh, you can get a hold of their offices, and, uh, again, they're going to be setting up. This particular program will begin at uh, 830 on uh, the 14th, which is a Thursday and first presentation is gonna be landscape tree management. And Dr. Lanny Dreesen, he's a retired forestry. He lives right here in Montgomery County. He worked with the, uh, the Texas AgriLife Extension back when it was a different name, but uh, he was a forester at that time. But he does a tremendous job on the landscape tree management. And again, what we've looked at as far as drought, excessive moisture, wind, things like that, a lot of our landscape has been stressed. So Dr. Dreesen will share some ideas with us as far as managing that. Uh, ant, Im, ants that are impacting our lives. We're going to be another presentation there. Dr. Robert Puckett, Extension Entomologist. Uh, again, we've talked a lot about fire ants, but the crazy ants, leafcutter ants, uh, and then again, we even see a lot of pavement ants, pharaoh ants. There are a number of varieties of ants that are in this area there, and uh, they've all got a little bit different approach. Uh, they've got a little different habitat they're looking for. So. The way we, uh, you know, a method to control these guys may vary a little bit. The products we utilize, and that's what Robert's going to address there. Aquatic weed management control is going to be another uh, presentation that day. Dr. Todd Sink will be over visiting with us. And again, uh, lots of folks who got farm ponds, and we've even got a lot of the subdivisions. have got a community lake, and we visit with a lot of those. And again, uh, herbicide actions and, and things like that, keeping that water quality and water usage up. Everybody likes to enjoy a nice lake and they don't want a lot of weeds covering it up. And if everybody wants to fish, we don't want to be dragging back weed plants every time we uh, cast out there. So again, aquatic weed management has become a very important area for lots of uh, landowners and subdivision owners. So uh, those techniques that Dr. Sink will share with us. Uh, we're going to do a little bit on uh, uh, herbicides, or I mean, our uh, laws and regs update. Dr. Renchi was going to be with us that we just visited yesterday and he's not going to be able to be with us, but... Dr. Brad or Mr. Brad Tullis with Texas Department of Agriculture will be there doing our laws and regs section, and uh, he's got some. Uh, he's going to share with us some uh, situations there as far as uh, you know, looking at complaints, uh, you know, damage, and reporting those types of things. So he's going to be sharing a lot of things that have been shared in the past, as probably complaints, problems, and how to address those, and the mechanics of having an investigation an inspector come out and look at different sites and and help rectify situations. So. Uh, a little bit different approach on the laws and regs and that would be an excellent presentation Uh, to finish the day up with our fifth hour is going to be uh, pesticide labels and calibration Uh, dr matt matoka will be over helping us with that portion of the program again um, as i mentioned earlier some of the products actually recommend a certain tip uh, spray tip be utilized and again looking at boom sprayers boom list type sprayers uh there's lots of equipment that's available for us to utilize and the way we get it out there will dictate our success so again Really uh, good cross section of materials or programs we'll be talking about that day. but again, December 14, uh, it'll be leading at the Montgomery County Extension Office, but we do have those other sites that will be receiving the program and sharing it, and uh, you will get uh, five hours of CEU credit for your TDA license or your structural pest control license. And again, I think it's something everybody can benefit from greatly. One uh, right for the first of the year there. Montgomery County Adult Horse Committee is going to be sponsoring their schooling shows as we have for many, many years. Uh, those are gonna be Tuesday evenings of January 9th, sixteen, and twenty third. And again, this is kind of a fun educational activity. We'll actually have a judge, a different judge each night. And he's more there as a, as a, uh, a facilitator and, and help us with uh, critiquing, not so much the placing of classes is not the important part of the evening, but having a judge help you with, uh, you know if you're wanting to go on show or do things like that, critique uh, techniques, help us improve our skills and uh, share some ideas on different approaches so we'll be dealing with showmanship at halter a lot of the folks are interested in the in-hand trail particularly our colt kiddos they're involved for the fair in-hand trail regular trail uh, walk trot western pleasure hunter under saddle and then horsemanship are the classes we'll be offering each of those three nights and that's going to be at the lone star expo uh, you don't have to sign up ahead of time they show that show up that evening we get started at 6:30 in the evening and hopefully the weather will be cooperating uh, you know, sometimes it rains, sometimes it's ice, sometimes it's warm. So we'll see. We're kind of off to a warm start right now. And that's kind of, uh, we, you know, we'll wait and see what the weather brings to us. Uh, next thing I want to move on to then, again, we talked about a lot of programming. And uh, there's with the deer season moving forward and visiting with guys that are coming back from different sites, I want to remind uh, folks that the Texas Animal Health Commission is involved with our hunting, and from the standpoint of our fever tick quarantine regulations. And, you know, we always think about cattle, but uh, the vet, the Animal Health Commission wants to remind everybody that if you are actually, and again, a lot of our folks are traveling to leases in other parts of the state, but uh, if you're actually in a situation there, if, you know, their, their inspections and precautions are required if you're handling a white-tailed deer, the nail guy, antelope, black buck, axis deer, and some of the other exotics that are in quarantine premises. And again, we've You've heard him talking about uh, the fever tick and the the inspections that are being made, but portions of Cameron, Hidalgo, Jim Wells, Kenny, Clayburg, Live Oak, Maverick, Star, Webb, Willisey, and Zapata counties are all established fever tick quarantine areas. And then there are also 37 additional quarantine counties that have got individual premise uh, quarantines going on. So. If you should actually take an animal, one of these animals we've mentioned before, as far as an elk guy or whitetail deer in one of those counties, that animal has actually got to be inspected by the Animal Health Commission officer before it leaves that area because they will actually uh, treat, inspect and treat that cape and, and hide before it goes anywhere so we don't ever run the risk of any of the ticks leaving that particular area and being moved to other parts of the state. So again, uh, you know the the hunters. You guys play a particularly large role in this, from making sure that we're protecting the state from fever tick expansion. Uh, their executive director is, is actually making these comments, and he's asking for their help in, during the hunting season to ensure this tick is not inadvertently transported to uninfected areas of the state when harvesting deer or exotics, and again, moving from those quarantine premises. So again, making sure the inspector, uh, the inspection and treatment process. It's fairly quick, according to Dr. Lansford. Uh, he's once another assistant director. Hunters must notify their Animal Health Commission, re- commission regional office uh, or a USVA ins- representative after harvesting an animal and before movement so the hides can be inspected and treated. And again, all uh, it, it's inspections are going to include the hides, capes. Animals will be issued a movement permit then after treatment and at the movement per- uh, permit must accompany that animal or parts of the animal at all times after you leave that site. So again, it's something that they're very serious about, and we need to make sure that we're uh, looking at those things very, very closely. One other thing I want to mention, and Dr. Uh, uh, Tiffany Dowell-Leschmidt, she's actually an attorney for Extension, works with a lot of our landowners, and uh, she had shared some information here recently. And again, uh, you know, we're talking about hunting and moving forward, and, uh, you know, we kind of take sometimes take a little bit of a— um, a laid-back approach to things, but uh, she has got some ideas that she really, uh, you know, wants to make sure people are aware of. Uh, she is not saying she's an attorney for everybody, but she wants to share some ideas. But one piece of advice is that everyone who is going to hunt, uh, including your guests, needs to sign a waiver and sign a lease when coming on your property. Again, it may be a friend, uh, you know, guest, whatever business associate, whatever case might be on your particular land, but. There are some waiver forms, things like that, that need to be signed just to protect you. Uh, she says, No, we don't always uh, do this, and we need to think about having everybody who is going to be there sign a waiver and a lease. And again, uh, if, if this is not possible, and again, there should be terms in that lease that states that the leasee is responsible for anyone who brings with them. And again, if it's, you know, you've leased out those properties there and someone else is managing it for you. Uh, that you know, the responsibility is laid out there and it's very clear about who's responsible. And again, it says, if I'm the landowner, I want to make sure that I know that make sure who make sure I know who is on the property and I want to make sure that they sign these waivers. And again, uh, with uh, situations, I mean, great friends, but situations occur and all of a sudden situations will uh, kind of change up. And, uh, you know, you know, again we get a situation there where you maybe have people on the property and you're going to sign it later on. You know, you just hope that nothing happens in the meantime before something actually does happen. But again, uh, Dr. Leschmidt actually talks about generally refers to three different documents for the hunters. And again, it's a signed lease, a signed liability waiver, and then a signed agreement containing language uh, from the Texas uh, Agritourism Act. And again, the latter is a statute that can protect landowners in the event of injury to a hunter so long as a written agreement is signed and the requirements signage is posted so in other words we're going to uh, sign uh, post our perimeter but again there are some things we need to be looking at and everything needs to be listed in the lease including the names of the parties the price the duration of the lease it may be only a dollar maybe nothing but those kind of things need to be stated limitations on hunting methods use of standards and when they can be delivered use of dogs use of atvs use of specific entrances You know, again, maybe a situation where you have to come from the backside not past the main house, things like that on a lot of these ranches. So there are some things that we need to be looking at. So, again, uh, this is another thing she really focuses on, and the property should be described in the lease. And it looks like it includes a map also, structures, boundaries, and other important items that were marked, and particularly if things need to be excluded from use or their ability to be utilized in that uh, lease agreement. And again reminding you that I uh, might have family members on the property and if they're not living on that structure uh they're on a regular basis you know those kind of things need to be there just to protect yourselves because you really don't know what might happen again secure deposits uh, can be demanded for those leasers and often a good idea if the lease uh, uh, leaves trash or tears up things the landowner has the funds then through deposits to go ahead and make the repairs. And, again, it like this is an ongoing conversation. Uh, people inadvertently tearing up things, running over water faucets, uh, you know, the campsites, uh, just things that, you know, may not be major, but, again, it's an ongoing expense that gets to be a problem. Uh, landowners who lease their property for hunting must obtain a license from the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department for their own land. <coughs> again, if you are going to, uh, you know, receive compensation for the use of your land, this must be registered through the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. And again, uh, a lot of folks don't do this. And again, it's one of those things that needs to be. The license should be displayed on the, li- the lease and in the on the premises. Some landowners uh, post the lease in uh, the bunkhouse or on a, on a fence, the entryway, things like that, so that landowner or the lease person's coming on the property know that this place is le- is registered, and it does have the proper maintenance. So, Separate lease properties may require uh, you know, different, uh, most times they do require a license for each site. So you may have a person, a landowner may have a number of ranches. He's actually got to have a different license for each of those properties. And again, there is a $500 fine there associated with not buying that license. It's a minimal fee, but it's a matter of you know, a person says, well, I'm not going to spend that much money. But again, there is a fee associated with it. So the license only required if the landowner charges for the lease and is not required for free hunters. So again, if you're inviting someone to come on, uh, just get your paperwork put together there as far as making sure that those people are covered and you are covered as far as any damage that might occur. Uh, you know, you just accidents occur too may, too easy. Uh, seems like uh, the number one uh, situation that we hear about is a person falling out of a stand. Uh, you know, heaven forbid we look at a, an accidental shooting, things like that. But falling out of stand, some of those innocent types of things, you know, accidentally get a little bit of cold weather and get a little ice on a the ladder, then all of a sudden, you know, the danger level goes way, way up. So those are the kinds of things that um, uh, she is kind of referring to. And again, I know a lot of the times, you know, we just, we, uh, you know, take a laid back approach to many of these things. And uh, it's a matter of uh, protecting ourselves. I mean, got, uh, you got, know, you know, just, you know, you got a resource there and you want to make sure that it does not get lost through a legal agreement or a legal dispute, I should say. So again, protecting yourself, make sure that you've got all the bases covered. Again, uh, hunting is a good time. Everybody enjoys it, and there's a lot of gain and a lot of family um, camaraderie, and those kind of things go on. But at the same time, we need to make sure that that resource is protected and it's available for us to utilize in the future. Let's go ahead and take a break, and then we'll move on, come back with a few closing items. Thank you. We have the safest food supply in the world. Strict laws and regulations restrict the usage of hormones, antibiotics, and pesticides within our food supply. Production agriculture practices and technologies such as the use of GMOs, which is not any more or less risky than conventional crop production, has allowed American farmers to produce more food on less acres in an environmentally sound ways. Find out more online at pathoftheplate.tamu.edu. We are Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, helping Texans make lives better. Attention movie lovers, The Ticket Stub is a new radio show servicing Montgomery County that is meant for you. The Ticket Stub is available live every Thursday at noon on FM 104.5 and 106.1, as well as anytime on ironlonestar.com. Connor and Dick will let you know what's coming out in the theater, what is worth streaming, and what's going on in the world of film. The Ticket Stub, your home for movie talk. Glad to be back with you guys for the last segment of the Agricultural Toolbox for today. And again, this has been an exciting week. Uh, uh, kind of wrapping things up. Actually, we went uh, yesterday, and all of, I want to make sure everybody was aware, of the uh, 4-H pecans are in. We ran yesterday, and brought back 14,000 pounds of pecans. And a lot of that was pre-sold through our 4-H clubs in their efforts uh, to uh, visit with residents or neighbors and through their 4-H clubs uh, get those, a lot of those pecans were all pre-sold so, but anyway, they were delivering those last night. So anybody that did not make contact with a 4-H member uh, prior to this time, there were still got lots of pecans there at the extension office, uh, available both pieces and halves. And again, I know a lot of folks are going to be wanting to to uh, make a pie or something like that, or some cookies next week. So we've got some fresh pecans to show you how fresh they are. I had to wait. We were supposed to have gone on Tuesday of uh, this week, but they were still bagging, shelling, and bagging on Thursday. So or Wednesday. So they got done Wednesday night. And I was there at eight o'clock Wednesday morning or Thursday morning in Powell to pick those pecans up. So you can't get much fresher than that. So they were back in the county by Thursday afternoon, and they can be in your kitchen tomorrow afternoon. So or this afternoon. So again, the opportunity is there. But those 4-H pecans, it's a big fundraiser for our local 4-H club. A lot of the, the management of the county program is done through the fundraiser of the pecan sale. So again, come by the office, pick those up. Uh, we mentioned several different programs out there, and, uh, you know, we talked about you know, the Plant Protection Conference and our uh, uh, Town and Country re- uh, um, Recertification Program. A lot of these are ongoing, and even the Master Gardener Program is going to get started next, or in January, but there's an ongoing amount of education that we're, Montgomery County Extension Office and Texas AgriLife Extension as a whole provides, and realizing that you can reach us through a number of ways. Uh, again, the electronic media, we're expanding in that area. We do have a Facebook account, and the 4 H has got their separate one. My uh, Montgomery County Adult Horse Committee has got their own Facebook account, and a lot of the activities that we do are actually shared through that. Pieces of information are all shared through those Facebook accounts. Our website is there. We provide to put, we uh, post all of our newsletters, program registrations, program agendas, uh, even related information. Montgomery County Fair is gonna be coming up in April and uh, some of the clinics we're doing are going to be open to everybody. I was visiting with an ag teacher earlier today. Our progress shows will be in January, and every Saturday in January, there will be a progress show that gives you know, the youth an opportunity to get out there and practice, get their animals out and about and away from the house, and uh, uh, you know, see how good they're coming along with their projects, but also gets a good opportunity to get out there and practice and make sure they're showing ship skills and handling of that animal are going on the way they should be. As we talked about in these programs we do a lot of problem, problem problem diagnosis, and again, a lot of that can be done electronically. We receive lots of photographs by email. People will call in and have some ideas there, and we can roughly describe things. And we still do a number of one-on-ones and individual home contacts. Lots of people will bring samples into the office. But again, the problem diagnosis and coming up with a management control scheme, techniques that are utilized, uh, that's the kind of thing that we provide as far as our residents, and again, Um, We want to make sure that everybody's aware of that. Uh, A lot of folks, you know, we visit with them for the first time, and they didn't realize that uh, this opportunity was there. So it's hard to make people aware of the Extension extension Office and uh, the vast array of opportunities that we provide. I know the segment that you heard right before we came back on, uh, Amy Ressler was talking about her mobile cooking schools. That's a very big group that works very hard. They've got both youth and adult audiences that they're reaching through that program. So again, with our livestock efforts and uh, hay production and forages, uh, some of that is youth, some of that is adult, and uh, we try to help out in all those different areas there. So the individual help, don't be afraid of uh, contacting us, sending, us, sending, us, sending pictures, uh, soil tests, you know, whatever the case might be. We're still doing some water testing. Uh, we're not sure about uh, uh, the amount of damage on our wells that occurred during Harvey. But again, if you're uncertain about the quality of the water, There is some water testing uh, opportunities out there, Nova Biologicals there. But let's look at those. And if you're uncertain about the quality of your water, make sure that we go ahead and get those things tested. So we talked about uh, the soil testing, water testing, uh, the hay testing we did back in October. That looks at the quality of that hay and we have a better idea of how to feed that. So those are the kind of opportunities that we deal with and help landowners uh, improve, the uh, reach the goals that they want to do and have the opportunity so they're happy with the production that they are on on their property, or even the 4-H and FFA members that uh, they're reaching their goals and having an animal that they're proud of when it comes time to be exhibited, whether it be a progress show, uh, the county fair, some of the community shows, things like that going on. So that's what the Extension Service does. And again, reach us at our website there, or you can call our office at 936-539-7822. It's been a pleasure being with you today during Agricultural Toolbox. And again, everybody have a fantastic Thanksgiving, and we'll see you after in December. Thanks for checking out this podcast of Lone Star Community Radio, Montgomery County's community radio station.